Chapter Twenty Three of Astoria or Anecdotes of an Enterprise Beyond the Rocky Mountains by Washington Irving. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Summer Weather of the Prairies, Purity of the Atmosphere, Canadians on the March, Sickness in the Camp, Big River, Vulgar Nomenclature, Suggestions about the Original Indian Names, Camp of Cheyennes, Trade for Horses, Character of the Cheyennes their horsemanship, historical anecdotes of the tribe. The course taken by Mr. Hunt was at first to the northwest, but soon turned and kept generally to the southwest, to avoid the country infested by the Blackfeet. His route took him across some of the tributary streams of the Missouri, and over immense prairies, bounded only by the horizon, and destitute of trees. It was now the height of summer, and these naked plains would be intolerable to the traveller, were it not for the breezes which swept over them during the fervour of the day, bringing with them tempering airs from the distant mountains. To the prevalence of these breezes, and to the want of all leafy covert, may we also attribute the freedom from those flies and other insects so tormenting to man and beast during the summer months in the lower plains which are bordered and interspersed with woodland the monotony of these immense landscapes also would be as wearisome as that of the ocean were it not relieved in some degree by the purity and elasticity of the atmosphere and the beauty of the heavens the sky has that delicious blue for which the sky of italy is renowned the sun shines with a splendour unobscured by any cloud or vapour and a starlight night on the prairies is glorious this purity and elasticity of atmosphere increases as the traveller approaches the mountains and gradually rises into more elevated prairies on the second day of the journey mr hunt arranged the party into small and convenient messes distributing among them the camp kettles the encampments at night were as before some sleeping under tents and others bivouacking in the open air the canadians proved as patient of toil and hardship on the land as on the water indeed nothing could surpass the patience and good humour of these men upon the march they were the cheerful drudges of the party loading and unloading the horses pitching the tents making the fires cooking in short performing all those household and menial offices which the indians usually assign to the squaws and like the squaws they left all the hunting and fighting to others a canadian has but little affection for the exercise of the rifle the progress of the party was but slow for the first few days some of the men were indisposed mr crooks especially was so unwell that he could not keep on his horse a rude kind of litter was therefore prepared for him consisting of two long poles fixed one on each side of two horses with a matting between them on which he reclined at full length and was protected from the sun by a canopy of boughs on the evening of the twenty third july they encamped on the banks of what they term big river and here we cannot but pause to lament the stupid commonplace and often ribald names entailed upon the rivers and other features of the great west by traders and settlers as the aboriginal tribes of these magnificent regions are yet in existence the indian names might easily be recovered which besides being in general more sonorous and musical would remain mementos of the primitive lords of the soil of whom in a little while scarce any traces will be left 
indeed it is to be wished that the whole of our country could be rescued as much as possible from the wretched nomenclature inflicted upon it by ignorant and vulgar minds and this might be done in a great degree by restoring the indian names wherever significant and euphonious as there appears to be a spirit of research abroad in respect to our aboriginal antiquities we would suggest as a worthy object of enterprise a map or maps of every part of our country giving the indian names wherever they could be ascertained whoever achieves such an object worthily will leave a monument to his own reputation to return from this digression as the travellers were now in a country abounding with buffalo they remained for several days encamped upon the banks of big river to obtain a supply of provisions and to give the invalids time to recruit on the second day of their sojourn as ben jones john day and others of the hunters were in pursuit of game they came upon an indian camp on the open prairie near to a small stream which ran through a ravine the tents or lodges were of dressed buffalo skins sewn together and stretched on tapering pine poles joined at the top but radiating at the bottom so as to form a circle capable of admitting fifty persons numbers of horses were grazing in the neighborhood of the camp or straying at large on the prairie a sight most acceptable to the hunters after reconnoitering the camp for some time they ascertained it to belong to a band of cheyenne indians the same that had sent a deputation to the Arikras. they received the hunters in the most friendly manner invited them to their lodges which were more cleanly than indian lodges are prone to be and set food before them with true uncivilized hospitality several of them accompanied the hunters back to the camp when a trade was immediately opened the cheyennes were astonished and delighted to find a convoy of goods and trinkets thus brought into the very heart of the prairie while mr hunt and his companions were overjoyed to have an opportunity of obtaining a further supply of horses from these equestrian savages during a fortnight that the travellers lingered at this place their encampment was continually thronged by the cheyennes they were a civil well-behaved people cleanly in their persons and decorous in their habits the men were tall straight and vigorous with aquiline noses and high cheekbones some were almost as naked as ancient statues and might have stood as models for a statuary others had leggings and moccasins of deerskin and buffalo robes which they threw gracefully over their shoulders in a little while however they began to appear in more gorgeous array tricked out in the finery obtained from the white men bright cloths brass rings beads of various colors and happy was he who could render himself hideous with vermilion the travellers had frequent occasions to admire the skill and grace with which these indians managed their horses some of them made a striking display when mounted themselves and their steeds decorated in gala style for the indians often bestow more finery upon their horses than upon themselves some would hang around the necks or rather on the breasts of their horses the most precious ornaments they had obtained from the white men others interwove feathers in their manes and tails the indian horses too appear to have an attachment to their wild riders and indeed it is said that the horses of the prairies readily distinguish an indian from a white man by the smell and give a preference to the former yet the indians in general are hard riders and however they may value their horses 
treat them with great roughness and neglect occasionally the cheyennes joined the white hunters in pursuit of the elk and buffalo and when in the ardor of the chase spared neither themselves nor their steeds scouring the prairies at full speed and plunging down precipices and frightful ravines that threatened the necks of both horse and horsemen the indian steed well trained to the chase seems as mad as the rider and pursues the game as eagerly as if it were his natural prey on the flesh of which he was to banquet the history of the cheyennes is that of many of those wandering tribes of the prairies they were the remnant of a once powerful people called the shawes inhabiting a branch of the red river which flows into lake winnipeg every indian tribe has some rival tribe with which it wages implacable hostility the deadly enemies of the shawes were the sioux who after a long course of warfare proved too powerful for them and drove them across the missouri they again took root near the warakana creek and established themselves there in a fortified village the sioux still followed with deadly animosity dislodged them from their village and compelled them to take refuge in the black hills near the upper waters of the cheyenne or cheyenne river here they lost even their name and became known among the french colonists by that of the river they frequented the heart of the tribe was now broken its numbers were greatly thinned by their harassing wars they no longer attempted to establish themselves in any permanent abode that might be an object of attack to their cruel foes they gave up the cultivation of the fruits of the earth and became a wandering tribe subsisting by the chase and following the buffalo in its migrations their only possessions were horses which they caught on the prairies or reared or captured on predatory incursions into the mexican territories as has already been mentioned with some of these they repaired once a year to the arikra villages exchanged them for corn beans pumpkins and articles of european merchandise and then returned into the heart of the prairies such are the fluctuating fortunes of these savage nations war famine pestilence together or singly bring down their strength and thin their numbers whole tribes are rooted up from their native places wander for a time about these immense regions become amalgamated with other tribes or disappear from the face of the earth there appears to be a tendency to extinction among all the savage nations and this tendency would seem to have been in operation among the aboriginals of this country long before the advent of the white men if we may judge from the traces and traditions of ancient populousness in regions which were silent and deserted at the time of the discovery and from the mysterious and perplexing vestiges of unknown races predecessors of those found in actual possession and who must long since have become gradually extinguished or been destroyed the whole history of the aboriginal population of this country however is an enigma and a grand one will it ever be solved end of chapter twenty three